Welcome to the Peace Mini Podcast, a podcast full of resources, stories, and news you could use. Last month, we had some amazing mothers in our podcast, and this month is the dad's turn. We have Lois Mendoza from the Washington State Fathers Network. And let me just say that this was one of those moments where I thought I had an idea about the organization, but realized very quickly that what I knew only began to touch the surface. I was very excited to hear that uh, what Lois had to say, and you can hear in his voice the passion he has for the work that the Fathers Network does. And before we start, I do have to mention that Clark County also has an active chapter of the Fathers Network, and Peace happens to be the home for that. Uh, it's led by Jeremy Van Pelt. And due to scheduling, I was not able to record with him this month, but I look forward to doing an episode with him as well. So stay tuned for that. And I will add information on the description for those interested to find out more. Enjoy. So tell me a bit about yourself. Hi, um, so my name is Louis Mendoza, and I'm the director of the Washington State Fathers Network. Um, <clears throat> I'm originally from Louisiana and came to Washington by way of Colorado and Los Angeles. Uh, I've been up here in Washington for um, 33 or 34 years. I have uh, lived with my wife, Paula, and we have two daughters. Uh, who are 34 and 31, so they are out of the house and doing uh, quite well themselves. Um, yeah, so that's just a little bit about me. I, I live in uh, Woodenville, Washington, which is sort of northeast of Seattle, uh, probably about uh, 20 or 30 minutes northeast. As far as the Fathers Network, uh, the Fathers Network has actually been around since, I want to say, 1978. It was started at the University of Washington. Uh, as an assignment for some graduate students. And then in 1986, it became a program of a nonprofit uh, early support center called Kindering, which um, is celebrating its 60th year this year. And they're based in Bellevue. Um, Kindering has a focus on service, serving children birth to age three but the Fathers Network does not have any age restrictions. So we have dads that have been with us almost from the beginning and their children are now approaching, uh, or some of them are in their fifties. So uh, we have quite a range of dads and dads who have newborns to dads who have kids in their fifties, which is a, a great uh, opportunity for them to mentor each other. So the, the work of the Fathers Network, um, the I guess the, the easiest way to explain it, and in doing so, I'll need to make sort of a generalization about men, uh, realizing that it's there are exceptions to this, of course, but it, it kind of simplifies things. Um, a lot of times men are socialized uh, to not ask for help. Um, they get a lot of messages when they're growing up to not ask for help, uh, be the problem solver, don't appear, appear vulnerable, don't show emotion, except possibly for anger. That seems to be acceptable for men for some reason. Um, so a lot of those kind of messages. And when they actually get into a situation uh, where they actually do need help, for instance, having a child with a disability, uh, it because of the way they grew up, uh, it's hard for them to ask for that help. 
and it's it's uh, it's difficult for them to get past it. And they also uh, oftentimes will stop talking about their child because some of those conversations become awkward. You know, if you're talking to um, a parent and that parent says, oh, you know, uh, my kid is, you know, seven years old and he's learned how to ride a bike and um, she's taking swimming lessons and doing all these things. And you know, tell me about your kid. And he said, well, you know, seven years old, but he's still not, not toilet trained and he's on verbal. A lot of times the other parent doesn't quite know what to do with that conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it can become awkward at times. So if you have a father who is um, not talking about his child and is not asking for help, uh, he can begin to feel isolated and feels like no one knows what he's going through. And so part of the reason for establishing the network was to find opportunities for these men to meet other men. And you know, when I explain the isolation and not talking with uh, other, uh, other people about their child, those are kind of extreme situations, but that does happen. Um, but, but dads can begin to feel like no one knows what they're going through and they have no resources, no help. And so the opportunity to meet another dad or group of men uh, to know that they're not alone, to know that they have someone that they can talk to, to ask about resources, to ask questions, to say, hey, my kid's about to start kindergarten. What do I need to know about the school system? Those kind of questions. Um, to know that they have that kind of resource available to them, it can be very, very powerful uh, and, and can change their perspective on, um, on how, to, how to interact with their family members, how to, how to interact with their child, how to help their child. Um, a lot of fathers, uh, men tend to like to think of themselves as problem solvers. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, know, you get a diagnosis and they want to solve this. They, they want to help their family. Uh, they eventually figure out that this isn't a problem that can be solved. Uh, and, and that is a difficult thing to, to face, uh, but to be able to know that you have people you can talk to that can help you uh, get through the bumps uh, can be very, very important to, to do. So that was the original reason why the Fathers Network started. Um, so we try to find those social opportunities for people uh, and it can be done through a support group uh, and or it can be done through social activities. And to be perfectly honest, uh, if you ask a man to go to a support group, that oftentimes doesn't go over very well. It sounds a little touchy-feely. Yeah. And, 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 and men will just say, no, I don't really want to go and sit in a circle and talk about my feelings. Um, it, it isn't what it is. I've asked uh, my own husband. <laughs> and <he's> like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's not the intent. It's not what will happen. Um, it's just an opportunity if you, if you have something that you want to talk about or, or ask about, you, you have a group there with you that, that will do that. One of the very first meetings that I ever went to, uh, after everyone introduced themselves, one dad spoke up and he said, you know, um, I've never been the disciplinarian in my family, but things are changing within my family and now I need to be able to discipline my children and I don't know how to do that. So can you help me? And, and so the rest of the time was spent with the other dads talking about how they handled that situation and giving him advice and him asking questions. And um, sometimes that's how the conversations go. Other times, you know, the guys get together and they just talk about 
the football game that you know that happened last week or you know whatever whatever they would talk about they they talk about their kid they talk about um, their kids friends or kids in school um, during the pandemic they talk a lot about you know how they're handling things issues regarding the pandemic um, it's whatever comes up anyway um, there are those support groups and uh, we also have social activities some that are just for men for instance we do a conference every year and uh, sometimes the activities are for families for example, we, we do a camp out up in Anacortes over Father's Day weekend, and we'll be doing it um, this year for the first time in two years. Uh, we had done it for 36 years in a row uh, until the pandemic. I and saw so we have newsletter, and I, it, we, I put the information on our newsletter, and yeah, it looks so much like so much fun. It, it's really a lot of fun. Um, you know, if people show up, um, it starts Friday evening and ends Sunday at noon. Most people just come for the Saturday and some people do camp out, but the big activity is, is Saturday. And the only thing that's really planned is we all have dinner together and, and we introduce ourselves to each other. Um, but other than that, people have, it's, it's on the water. Uh, it's, it's in a big park. You can go and do whatever you want. You can go hiking, you can do water activities, you can play in a playground, you can hang around the fire pit and you know play games and just chat. It's whatever you wanna do. Um, but it, it's, it's very fun and a lot of people meet a lot of other people and sometimes they wind up meeting their neighbors. They just, you know, they're from the same town. They just didn't know it. Yeah. So, uh, so sometimes the social activities are for families and uh, that's a much easier way oftentimes for men to meet each other as opposed to going to a support group. So we, we try to have uh, both kinds of activities. The other things that we get involved in um, we try to raise the voices of men. And, and a really good way for me to explain this is that when I first started doing this work, uh, I would hear or go and observe a lot of parent panels that were set up so that uh, people in the community or people who were being trained to be professionals could learn from parents about what it was like to raise a child with a disability. And all of those panels were made up of women which was fine. I have no problem with women doing that. I'm, I'm glad they are. I'm glad the moms are stepping up and, and, and talking about these things so that the community can understand. But if you are somebody who's being trained to work with families, whether that's to be a doctor or a nurse or an educator or a lawyer or a social worker, if you're only hearing the mom's perspective on what it's like to raise a child, um, you're only getting part of the picture. And if you really want to understand what the family is going through, you need to hear from both parents. And so we try to find opportunities for our members to talk on podcasts, uh, through blogs, at the legislature, parent panels, at conferences, anywhere we can find an opportunity for them to have their voice heard. As part of that effort, we teach a workshop called Telling Your Story with a Purpose which um, is a workshop designed to teach people a process that they can use to advocate for policy or systems change when they're talking to a decision maker, meaning like a legislature or um, a school board, someone like that, an insurance executive, uh, and do that within two to three minutes while incorporating a story from your family's experience 
that demonstrates how important it would be for that policy or systems change to happen and how it would affect so many families. So that's, that's a class that we do and we're happy to do it. Uh, we do it all over, the, all over the state, happy to do it whenever someone requests it. Um, the third area that we really get into is that we try to work on advocating, advocating for equal access to the community for people with disabilities. And, and, and oftentimes their family members, because oftentimes a person with a disability will go to something in the community with their family members. And by, by that, I mean that um, we wanna work towards that day when uh, people would know that whatever they want to do in the community, whether that is going to a restaurant, going to a store, going to a theater or a museum or a movie or uh, becoming a member of the YMCA or joining Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, they would always know that they would be welcome and that if accommodations are needed, that they would be available. They wouldn't have to make a special effort to get accommodations. And so we, you know, we work with organizations to help them understand how important it is uh, to be accessible for everyone. And you know, simply, you know, if you look at statistics, you'll see things um, that show that somewhere between 17 and 20% of the population have a disability. And if you as an organization, uh, as a business are not welcoming 17 to 20% of the population, then you're losing out on an opportunity. Yeah. So, so we, we work with them to um, help them understand the importance of being accessible and accommodating and, and welcoming of everybody. Um, and you know, fortunately, no one's ever shut the door in my face and said, we don't wanna do that. Most people will say, oh, we didn't realize we weren't being welcoming. Or they'll say, well, we don't know how to do that. So how do we do it? So then we have a conversation. But that's led to lots of work with uh, different organizations, uh, lots, of, lots of cultural organizations, theaters and museums. Um, the Girl Scouts did a really good job, the Girl Scouts of Western Washington. You know, I talked to them and they, they just took it on and they developed a handbook for their troop leaders. They did, did trainings and uh, they, they really bought into it. So uh, it, it's, um, it's a long-term project. It's not something, it, it's a real cultural shift. To, to do that kind of work and have that kind of change happen for everybody. I'm smiling because I have Girl Scouts and I'm like, oh, wow, thank you. <laughs> so um, that's, that's pretty much what we get into. Um, it, the work has given me the opportunity to work um, with a lot of other organizations promoting the idea of fatherhood. Um, I, I sit on the Washington State Interagency Fatherhood Council we just had our summit over the last three days talking about the issues of fatherhood. Um, I work with a, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics in Washington, as well as uh, a national organization called the Center for Healthcare Strategies to talk about uh, how to improve uh, medical practices for families who are having young, who have young children. Uh, and so my, my perspective that I always bring to those conversations is remembering that when they talk about families and providing services to families that they also include the father. And so, because a lot of times fathers are just not considered um, when they talk about, there's, there's such a focus on moms and children that the fathers are sometimes left in the background and we need to make sure that they are remembered and considered 
and uh, their needs are also taken into account. Yeah, so just for it, things like the, the school, like I had to let them know, like, hey, I don't need to just get the emails and the phone calls. He can do it. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the you know sometimes the, the father's information is you have that initial meeting to get you know information about the family. They don't even ask about the dad's contact information or his name. Um, you know, they they go to meetings and dads are not addressed in the meeting. They always talk to mom. Uh, we we have dads who have gone to a medical appointments with their children, and the receptionist won't start the meet won't start the appointment because she's waiting for mom to show up. You know, so yeah, yeah it, it's just a, a changing the the perspective in society about the importance of fathers is um, is is work that has to be done. Yeah, yeah. so I'm grateful for for your work, and I know I understand that there's different chapters all over the state. There are. Um, we um, the pandemic has had an effect on us. We we really do count on um, being able to meet in person. Uh, and, and that's been difficult in the pandemic. We have been meeting virtually. Uh, I believe we have 12 chapters around the state and eight of them that are currently meeting. Some of them are meeting virtually. Um, some of them are beginning to dabble their toes into the idea of getting back to meeting in person. So that's nice. Um, it, it's, I've gone to a couple of those meetings. It's nice to see people in person, you know, someone you never met before, and you say, "Oh, well, that's that's how tall you are." <laughs> but <laughs> um, it's yeah, we have chapters. Um, see, off the top of my head, we have a chapter in well, your chapter in Vancouver. Yes. <laughs> yes, which is, which is great. I, I think they meet on the the third Saturday of the month, and I, I believe I believe they are um, are are trying to meet in person. Uh, we have a chapter in Olympia, we have a chapter in uh, South King County, a chapter in Seattle, one in Snohomish County, one in East King County of, uh, uh, in the Bellevue area. Uh, we have a group that meets in Ellensburg. Um, I think I'm missing one or two, but um, they're around. And, you know, and always, always we're willing to look for new chapters. Uh, and especially, um, I would especially be interested in starting chapters in communities of color or immigrant communities, because mm -hmm. I think that those those populations are generally underserved and being able to provide this kind of service for the dads in those communities, I, I think would be would be really valuable. Uh, I know there are some challenges with being able to do that. One would be a language barrier, um, you know. I don't speak Somali, for instance. Um, you know, so uh, we would need to find someone who's probably bilingual to be able to talk with some of these communities. Um, and there are some cultural differences in terms of um, how people perceive um, having a child with a disability or a special healthcare need. Uh, there can be some strong stigmas in some communities about that. So having to overcome that is can be an issue. Um, but yeah, I'm always looking to. Uh, find new opportunities to um, help dads in wherever they live. I have my my coffee group, my cafe confis uh -huh. in Spanish, yeah. and it's open to everybody, but it's mostly mostly women that come. <laughs> and I'm always trying to like scope out, like okay, what's a dad that I can send your way so it would <laughs> have a Spanish speaking dad group. So yeah, it would be yeah, and um, 
I'm actually working with, are you familiar with CMAR? Yes, yes. So um, as you know, CMAR is a, a organization that primarily provides medical services to the Spanish speaking population. And um, one of the things that we do with them, they own, they own a radio station called KKMO, uh, which um, we do every other month. Um, I organize uh, a session where we, we present information that would be helpful to Spanish speaking parents who have a child with a disability. And um, that's why I, I, I thought that it was made that connection with the, I've seen uh, Fatih from King County. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. yeah. She's been, she's been on the program a couple of times. Yeah. And do you know, do you know Sandra? Sandra uh, Urite? Yeah. 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 She's going to be on the program next month. Oh, great. And she'll be talking about making the transition from being in early intervention to being in the school system. So, yeah, we, we try to provide that kind of information. So, but where I was going with CMAR was that um, I'm also talking with them now about having them have a group, a Spanish speaking group of dads, um, because they, they serve a lot of Spanish speaking families. And I think that that would be something that would be a, a helpful for them to do for the families they serve. Yes, and culturally that there's a lot of challenges with that there too, where <clears throat> sure. you know, it's a little, it's a little tricky too. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, wonderful to see, to see, because I know that they would have a lot to contribute and, and their voices need to be heard as well. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, any other questions for me? No, that is it. Thank you so much for talking to me and sure. uh, I'll stop the recording right now. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Peace Mini Podcast. If you want to listen to our past podcasts, you can go to peacenw.org forward slash podcast. And if you would like to get notified every time a podcast comes out, subscribe to our newsletter and you can do so on our website as well.